1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to La Liga Lowdown. It's our match day 36 recap. It's very near the end of the season, and things have happened this week. I'm your host, Matt Clark. I'm joined by Sam Leverage today. How are you, Sam? Good.
2: Thank, Thank you all evening with the noise of the Bernabeu and the announcements of the goals every five or six minutes, disrupting things. But yeah, good.
1: Yes, there were plenty of them, weren't there? Real Madrid winning 6 0 against Levante, which of course means Levante. Are the first club to be relegated from La Liga this season. Our commiserations to all of the Levante fans out there. Um, it's been inevitable for for what seems like all season. They've been struggling, but uh, they they did show signs of life under Alessio Luchy. Um Obviously, a terrible way to go, losing six nil at the home of the champions. But uh, what's your kind of sum up of, of Levante's season?
2: Yeah, no, I mean this was kind of the performance that we were seeing from them early on in the season and. They did come back to life under Lishy and I think they kind of showed that they did have the talent. They did have, especially in attack, they had the talent, but at the end of the day, the defensive weaknesses were always too evident. It was always going to cost them and unfortunately for them, their their comeback was too little, too late. And maybe if the season had another 10 games to go, it'd be a different story. But yeah, too little, too late and, and just too weak at the back, I think.
1: Yeah, defensively, very much an issue for them this season. That's 73 goals conceded in 36 matches. Pretty damning reading. Um, As you say there, very disappointing for them. They will try their best to come back. Will they be able to keep the likes of Jose Luis Morales? Well,
2: that's a big question, isn't it? I mean, uh, a guy of his age and so on, I imagine that he will probably still be around at Levante next season. But they've got plenty of other good players, Jose Luis Campana, for example. I mean, imagine he'll be moving on, even kind of the, the Enes Bardis and so on, who, who maybe haven't been in their best this season, but are players who on their day are definitely top-flight quality. And I can't imagine that they're going to be hanging around in Segunda. So I think Levante could have a big rebuilding project on their hands this summer. But And there's some big changes off the field as well. We've heard from Paco in the past about Kiko Gatalan and, and his role and, and what could happen there with a referendum. From the club's members and shareholders so we'll see what else happens in the next few weeks at, at Levante but I think there could be a big summer of change for them.
1: Yes indeed, mucho animo to all the Levante fans as we said. We hope you'll be back soon because we've loved having you in La Liga for these five seasons. Always entertaining and always taking on the big sides uh, and generally getting some great results against them too. We will not forget this chapter in the top flight. Okay, well, elsewhere in the relegation battle, Alaves maintained their fight for survival with a 2-1 home win over Espanyol. It was do or die for Alaves. If they'd lost this one, they were down two, but they got the win. Uh, Miguel de la Fuente and Gonzalo Escalante were the goals for them. A much-needed win. Espanyol, probably one of the better teams you would have hoped to face in a situation like this, given their away form and given their, their current issues, which we'll touch on in a moment. But firstly, in Alaves, still, still tough for them because they are still, uh, what, four points off the pace and only six uh, only six points to play for. Well, they've they've done all they can this week, haven't they? That's all we can say, I suppose.
2: Yeah, and under Julio Rivera they look pretty good at home. I mean, never spectacular, never convincing, but they've been grinding out results, and it's just away from home under him where they haven't been able to do that, and, and that could prove to be the difference between staying up or not. Uh, and, and Jose Luis Mendilibar, who, I mean... We were quite positive when he was appointed, but he just hasn't had the desired impact when he came in and his spell was was quite disastrous. So I think for Alaves now, it's it's just I think their squad doesn't have enough quality. I mean, the core of their squad is, is maybe strong enough. I mean, you know, Fernando Pacheco, um, Roselu, uh, even Florian Lejeune and players like that, but and Victor Aguadia, but I mean, there's just not enough depth and, and too many players past their best and and no no strength in the team to to back it up so i mean that's another team that i think are going to have a big job on their hands to to have another kind of cracker coming back up to premier if they do go down
1: yeah you're sort of writing them off there and i'm pretty sure they will go but uh, their final two fixtures then away at levante who of course have just gone down and then home to cadiz which could be an absolute all or nothing match Uh, on the final day, so wouldn't that be a partidazo in prospects? But, um, yeah, I think they have left it a little bit too too late, but uh, as things stand, they are still alive. Uh, One place up from them is Mallorca, and after their 6-2 hammering at the weekend against Granada, they faced the trip to the Sanchez-Pizuan and came away with a clean sheet. Um, Did it surprise you, Sam, and and what do you think of Mallorca's prospects?
2: No, weirdly, it didn't surprise me. I mean, Javier Guilherme is very like that i mean we saw similar when he was at legones a few years ago that he is capable of getting a team to set up very defensively and grind out clean sheets and so on i think grunts granada at home they that was never going to be the approach i mean that was a winner takes all kind of game they had to go for it but away from home javier Guide has been a bit more conservative and that was what we saw at the sanchez one again and and it worked for them i mean they did get the result They they got the point that they were after and Yeah, maybe it doesn't lift them out of the bottom three just yet, but it does keep them close enough to Caddy, who obviously dropped points themselves. So it keeps that fight alive. And and if they can get another good result like that in midweek, then sorry, the weekend, then it'll go down to the final day and and still fighting and, and hoping for a shot.
1: Yep, two points off the drop for the island side. They host Raya at the weekend before a final day trip to El Salah. So, yeah, two teams with pretty much nothing to play for, so that could go either way, really. Um, every chance that Majorca can can still give this a good fight. As for Cadiz, you just mentioned them there. They uh, they had a great win at uh, the weekend, winning 3-0, but this time they actually lost by the same scoreline at Real Sociedad. Um, two penalties in this one. Cadiz are the team with the most penalties conceded in the league this season. Um, obviously they have they have been paying a penalty, haven't they?
2: Yeah, I know. It's just kind of the defensive lapses and so on. But I think Cali can be fairly optimistic. I mean, just these results. I mean, they've had a couple of results like that where they've had a really impressive result and then struggled to build any consistency or, or build any form out of it. And against Real Asuati, I mean, obviously both teams with a lot to play for in that one. But I think that's the challenge that Calith have faced and their fixtures are kind of these difficult ones, I mean, like you said, I mean, they could have a real big game against Alaves kind of late on and I think that's where it's going to be interesting is kind of how do they fare in these games. I think against Elche, they showed that with the intensity against a team that doesn't have anything to play for, they can pick up the results. So I think by the end of the season, they should be okay, but I wouldn't be placing any bets on them, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, do you know what? I I do remember saying this a few weeks back. I think I still thought Cadiz would go you know what, I'm going to stick to that because they've got Real Madrid next. Um, and yes, the the fans will be up for that one, hosting the champions, giving it everything. Real Madrid will probably rotate a bit more than they did this week. Um, but yeah, if they lose against Real Madrid at home, then they face that do-or-die match against Alaves uh, with Mallorca potentially you know, determining their own destiny. That could be a real kind of nip-and-tuck final day, uh, which of course neutrals would love to see. But yeah, I just... I think Caddy... you. Every, as you say, they seem like they're just on the edge of, of being safe or just just on the edge of trouble. But um, they could be the one that, unfortunately, kind of do the reverse on the final day. Um, of course, equally, they could get a result against Real Madrid. They've done so in the past. Uh, clean sheet at the Bernabeu earlier this season. So who knows? It's that type of time of the season, isn't it? Anything can happen. Uh, it makes fools out of all of us for trying yeah, to I do think things. they've lost
2: to Real Madrid since 2006. Is that the stat? So. Yeah. Yes,
1: they were unbeaten last season too, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. winning at, uh, at uh, Alfredo Di Stefano as well um, in that counter-attacking display. Anyway, we digress. Uh, so yeah, Cardiff currently just above the drop zone, but ahead of them, four points clear of danger, is Granada, and they got another win under Aitor Carranca. Four games unbeaten now under his stewardship. And uh, Sam, you caught up with Heath Chesters to see how on earth he's been able to turn this around.
3: Granada from well, I'm
2: now joined by Heath Chesters, who is our resident Granada fan. You don't won't find anyone who knows more about Granada than Heath. Thanks for joining us, Heath. No problem. How are you doing then? I mean, you must be feeling. We were just discussing that you're feeling a bit more optimistic than you were last time we spoke a few weeks ago.
4: Yeah, uh, a lot more optimistic now that the uh, the effect is starting to take hold. Um, I think what what we've seen since his arrival, starting with the Aletti match um, over the last four games, is something more reminiscent of how the team played under Diego Martinez, um, with that sort of grit and determination that Granada had become known for. Um, and obviously, in the thick of a relegation battle, uh, restoring that confidence amongst the players, getting that grit and determination back, that's, it's been absolutely vital.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's four unbeaten now under Carranque and kind of very different results. I mean, the 0-0 draw against Granada, the 1-0 draw against Celta the 1-0 win against Athletic Club in midweek, but I mean, the 6-2 win over Mallorca was something completely different, right?
4: Uh, it, was, it was spectacular. Um, I
2: think there was a, a,
4: a bit of destiny there as well, because they've been pushing heavily um, the the 300 Granadanistas that were traveling there, so it was almost like the 300 Spartans um, at, at San Moy. But um, it, it actually led from a bit of protest from Granada fans, because there's been a bit of um, of peak entry between the the Granada fans and the board, um, and the board actually relented. I think they were a bit afraid of um, something akin to Valencia happening with mass protest by Granada fans, uh, because obviously they haven't been happy uh, with how the Chinese owners and their delegates have run things this season, so um, they they backed down, and and it seems to be in an instant now they've realised that the fans are perhaps the most important element at the club. Uh, thankfully. So, um, it's sort of like an about-face and on board with the fans and and that's hopefully the way it should be going forward. But that makes a difference to the players on the pitch as well, always.
2: Yeah, and you could tell against Athletic, I mean, the game on Tuesday night, it was one of those real kind of heart in your mouth until the final whistle, especially in injury time. Athletic had a few chances, a penalty shout. I mean, what did you make of that performance from Granada on Tuesday
4: well, I think games in recent years against Athletic Club have always been a bit blood and thunder between Granada uh, against Granada. Um, it, it reminded me, some ways, of the the cup semi final just before the pandemic. Uh, it was the last game before all the lockdowns, um, which Granada lost on that occasion. Um, so the guy Yuri who scored the winner in that game, was was on the receiving end of some some spikes from the Granada fans. But um, I mean, it was it was a phenomenal game, end to end. The notable difference that you could see all the way through the game was Karanka from the touchline encouraging the defenders to press higher up the pitch um, and for the, the attacking players, midfielder players to, to start pressing the athletic players around their own box. Um, so that kept, kept the rival team under pressure um, a lot more than we've seen um, under either Robert Moreno or Ruben Torosia. Um So that's been a big difference over the last few weeks.
2: Yeah, and Alex Gallardo, I mean, the goal eventually came from that wasn't the high press from Alex Callado. I mean, I've been quite impressed by him since he joined from Barcelona on loan. What have you made of, of his performances?
4: Well, I think that since Carranca arrived, again, the Carranca effect, uh, we have to say, he's playing him in the right position. He's playing him as an attacking midfielder. Um, now, although is not your, your sort of typical pressing player, he's a, he's a typical number 10 that sort of floats around. Um, But obviously he's been encouraged by Karanka to to get involved in the pressing as well, Um, and it's paying dividends. Uh, It's good to see. You can see he's busting a gut, the lad, so uh, as well as his his technical ability and his his ability to get past players, um, provide assists and uh, obviously score goals as well, um, it's made a big difference that he's playing in the right role. Um, And there's there's a bit more to that which I can explain. with Karanka, it was interesting. There was an interview with Jorge Molina uh, in Cope uh, the other night, and they were asking him what are the biggest differences. And, and obviously, the first thing he had to do was reinstall the confidence back in the players and the self-esteem, build that up again. That was a big priority, and that was what he focused on mostly ahead of the match against um, Atleti that you that you were at uh, at the Wanda. Um, but since then, obviously, he's been working technically and tactically with the players. And one of the things that Molina highlighted was that, along with the group chats, basically sat down individually with every player in the squad with video presentations, highlighting all the strengths and weaknesses. So he's obviously spent a lot of time analysing each player individually to look at what they can contribute to the collective. (laughs) And obviously, that makes a big difference because I think players like that. Uh, Players like to be coached. Uh, players want to know where they're going wrong, what they can do better, how they can improve. Um, and obviously, like I say, it benefits the collective uh, in the long run. So that that is quite an interesting insight from Molina as to, to what Carranca has done uh, since his arrival.
2: Yeah, I think I saw a quote from him in the post-match press conference saying that he could tell the difference in the squad. That when he arrived, it was all heavy breathing and panting in the dressing room. And now there's music and, and jokes and so on. I think that has a big impact too. I mean, two games left now. As things stand, four points clear of the relegation zone. It's Betis and Espanyol the two games that are left. I mean, are Granada going to stay up?
4: Um, I never like to to sort of create the the gaffe. Um, the sort of the you could call that the Thomas Roncero effect from from Arsenal Chirurgito because. He's actually from Granada originally, and he, every now and again, when Granada are doing well, he pipes up, and all the Granada fans say, "Please shut up, don't say anything, you, because you, you're <laughs> like bad uh, luck. Fudging. Yeah, you're like the black cat." Um, but um, no, I mean, I, I think it's it's in their own hands. Um, I think a point, maybe two points at most, would be enough. Uh, obviously, it depends on the results elsewhere for for Levante, uh, maybe for. Alaves now as well uh, after their win um, and certainly for, for Mallorca they've got it all to do. Um, Granada are a little bit more comfortable but I think they'll go out uh, and bust a gut against Betis and um, whether they'll get a point or not or three points or not uh, is a different matter because obviously Betis are still fighting for for their possibility of Championship uh, Champions League football even though it's it, it's looking quite slim um, but I think all being, all, all being said The game against Espanyol will probably be more important because Espanyol will be coming to Granada on the final day of the season with absolutely zero in play Um, and you know what it's like sometimes with teams when they've got absolutely nothing in play. Uh, Some of the players are thinking of the summer holidays, they don't want to be on crutches during the jollies with with an injury um, and they're not playing at full gas. Um, So I think that's what people are hoping for from that last match of the season. Um, the, the game at Betis is going to be a great atmosphere, um, certainly because there's a, a minimum of 3,000 granada travelling there um, after snapping up so many of the tickets. If there's more, um, they reckon there could be possibly up to 5,000. Uh, so you'll, see, you, you'll certainly hear plenty of their voice during the game and if they can get something fantastic, if not, it's not the end of the world because there's still that one game left against Espanyol uh, at home with the restored
2: confidence that they've lost, Carminis now. Yeah, and if the other teams drop points, then it could all be done after this weekend as well. So yeah, let's keep an eye on that in the, the relegation dogfight. No, thanks for joining us, Heath. No problem. Good speaking to you. And now let's hand back over to Matt to, to analyze the rest of the action.
1: Thank you very much, as always, to Heath there for that fantastic insight into Granada, um, very much optimistic for the next couple of games. Uh, elsewhere in that bottom half, kind of uh, middle zone, Hitafe still not quite safe yet, but very close now after they got a 1-1 draw at El Sadar. It was great to see uh, Oyer scoring at El Sadar in the, the game where he was given that send off by the home fans, the club captain who will be leaving at the end of the season after 15 years service for the club, so a nice uh, a nice uh, even game there. Hitafe almost over the line, but not quite. And uh, just a quick line on Espanyol, we mentioned their the loss at Alaves, rumours very strongly circulating uh, in the last uh, few hours that uh, Vicente Moreno could be sacked by the club. Uh, what's your latest information on that, Sam?
2: Yeah, well, it seems that there's some real kind of unhappiness in the camp, The players unhappy with him at all. There's been a few kind of confrontations, I think we saw the most visible one yet, kind of with that clash with Raúl de Tomás kind of squaring up to each other almost in the game and... And that's obviously not something that anybody ever wants to see. And I think the players have reportedly been asking for Vicente for he his head for a while now. I mean, they're away from all season. has been pretty terrible. And there's going to be some more wider organisational changes. It seems like Rofete, the the director of football, also will be moving on. And, and Diego Martínez is one of the names to be linked to former Granada manager. So I'm sure Heath would not be so happy seeing him in the opposition dugout. But, but happy to see him back in Spanish football at the very least. So could be an interesting one to keep an eye on
1: absolutely i'm sure plenty of people would be happy to see diego martinez back in la liga certainly certainly speaking for myself that that would be the case uh, right then let's wrap part one up there uh, join us after the break where we'll talk about the european race which is still pretty hot um join us for that and chat on uh, on barca and Aleti too join us after the break Welcome back to La Liga Lowdown. It's our Matchday 36 recap podcast. Two games to go, plenty to be decided, but some things have been, as we said. Atletico qualifying for the Champions League is one of them. Tenth season in a row they've achieved this. Every one of Diego Simeone's full seasons they've finished inside the Spanish top four. A great achievement for them in what's been a pretty rough season. But to get all the information on their win over Eche, let's hear from uh, Jeremy Bering from Into the Calderon.
2: corre tras de
0: Paul de Pol Griezmann, Griezmann, Griezmann de Paul, golazo! Qué maravilla, Gol, gol, qué maravilla. Gol, gol, gol del Atlético de Madrid. Gol, 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 gol de Rodrigo de Paul. Que ¡Qué tan bonita con ¡Que pudo chutar!
2: And I am now joined by Jeremy Barron of Into the Calderon. Jeremy, what did you make of the game? What did you make of European qualification, the Champions League for Atletico Madrid? I mean, you're a happy man today.
3: Yes, I am a happy man. Uh, I, I hoped to be a happier man this season with the League title win last year with the expectations, the anticipation of what was to come this year didn't come off. Atleti have had a a really messy, difficult, rough season. But in the end, what matters most is qualifying for the Champions League, finishing somewhere inside La Liga's top four. And Atleti do have options to finish as high as third with a victory over Sevilla on Sunday. The rookie Blancos can guarantee that. The game against Elche was a, a really positive display for Atleti. one of their better displays from the second half of this season nervy opening 20 minutes it looked like Atleti were feeling the anxiety feeling a bit of pressure but once that first goal came everything calmed down they were able to relax and end up with a pretty comfortable if not convincing 2-0 win to make it official wrap up uh, Champions League qualification for the 10th year running
2: good stuff yeah and a couple of of big performances from players who haven't been so good this season. I mean, Rodrigo de Paul and Matheus Cunha both got on the score sheet, haven't found the net perhaps as often as we might have expected early on in the campaign. And then Antoine Griezmann was involved in both goals. I mean, were there kind of reasons to be optimistic for Atleti fans?
3: Yeah, I think that's the glass half full look is the, the look I prefer to uh, adopt in most instances. And with Griezmann, I think Atleti and Atleti supporters don't really have much choice but to try to be optimistic. I wrote about Griezmann last week on the Calderon, uh, a big old column about how Atleti should probably look to return him to Barcelona this summer given how difficult his year individually has been on the pitch. But a very positive display for him on Wednesday. Kind of in a deeper-lying role, more of a wide playmaking role. He was able to pick his moments really well and had a hand in setting up both goals. The latter was for DePaul, a primary assist for DePaul who has – Again, another player with a really rough season under his belt. He's been playing at a position, a role that isn't really familiar for him and hasn't allowed him to show his best version, as as the saying is in Spanish, right? Uh, He hasn't been able to show his qualities, the the reasons why Atletico paid 35 million euros for him from Udinese last summer. But he chipped in with a goal after the hour that pretty much wrapped things up. And between Griezmann, DePaul, Cunha, especially those latter two, they can t- definitely take a step forward next year. Cunha potentially as the team starting number nine. I think there's a very plausible scenario where Cunha is leading the line for Atleti next season, assuming they cannot splash the cash on a Lautaro Martinez or Darwin Nunez.
2: Yeah, and at the other end, I mean, I thought one of the guys who was really impressive was Reynildo. I mean, we talk about these big signings, Rodrigo de Paul and the 35 40 million euros, Darwin Nunez, Lautaro Martinez, but Renildo cost, what was it, 3-4 million euros? And for me, he's been one of Atleti's best players this season.
3: What a signing. Yeah, uh, wonderful business from Atleti. As much as we criticize or critique Atleti's transfer policy, and there have been some strange signings this season in previous years with Andre America leaving the front office, uh, Mateus Cunha and Renildo Mandava have been wonderful signings, and both for clinched for under 30 million. Cunha was signed for twenty five thirty mil and Rinaldo came in at the very end of the window on an expiring contract. Atleti purchased him for not even four million euros and he has he's already repaid that transfer fee and then some on top of it. He has transformed Atleti's entire defense with his physicality, his strength, his athleticism, his intelligence, his positioning is top notch. And it's allowed Diego Simeone to uh, rotate a bit more freely between a 3-5-2 and a four-four-two. Almost immediately, Renildo came in and was converted to a left-sided center back. He has taken on that role with, with Gusto and Bravado. He's been an excellent signing. And without him, I don't think we're talking about Atleti clinching a top four place with two games to go. I think it's, it's a much worse situation if Renildo's signing is not clinched on the final day of the January window.
2: Exactly. And then I'm going to pose you a question, Jeremy. I saw that you asked it over on the Patreon for your podcast, Colton nero Chat. What grade would you give Atletico for their season this season? I mean, it's been mixed. I mean, the end result doesn't seem too bad, but but maybe disappointing after last season, as you said earlier.
3: Yeah. Um, it's a tough one because I think there, there have been some positive developments this season, but the negatives – and what was hoped for, what was anticipated, I think outweighed some of these positives. I'd say probably a C minus or a D plus. Um, Atleti won the league last year, Sam. They they won it and playing a more progressive, bolder, dynamic style. And we saw a regression. We saw a um, a regression back and a, a reversion back to a more confused, more rigid attacking style as Diego Simeone tried to evolve the team couldn't. And there were several months where it was just very confusing and, and frustrating to watch At Letty play. There was no clear game plan. A bunch of guys weren't playing to the level that they displayed last season. A lot of chopping and changing suspensions, injuries, uh, guys falling out of favor, falling out of the team. Um, and then you have the Kieran Trippier sale in January that really disrupts things when, when Letty could have started the, the calendar year with a bang Trippier goes out and they don't properly replace him. That's a a black mark on the season. Uh, So I I would say C minus if I'm feeling generous, probably closer to a D plus, but that's not to say there weren't positives. As I mentioned, Cunha's development has been huge. Ray signing was transformational. Really? Uh, They had a, a good season in the champions league, a really good season in Europe, getting out of a really, really tough group and then pushing Manchester city to the limit in the quarterfinal of the champions league. Um, and in the end, the main objective is to get top four, somewhere top three, based on Atleti's uh, financial situation, based on the budget, based on what they can offer players in terms of salary and other perks. Third is where Atleti should be most years. Um, disappointing that it comes after a season where Atleti won the league for the second time under Diego Simeone. But that that is the economic, the financial reality, is that most years you expect Atleti to finish third. Um, so... I know that's a a long-winded answer to the question, but yeah, a rough year. Hopefully next year from the Atleti POV is better. Hopefully they can knock out some of these signings they need to knock out in the summer and truly challenge for the title again next year. Yeah, I know
2: that. At the start of the season, I think everyone in the La Liga Liga Lowdown squad predicted that Atleti would be champions again, and it's not quite been that. So, Jeremy, one last question. One piece of advice, or one wish, perhaps. Let's give it one wish. One wish, genie in the bottle. One wish for Atletico Madrid next season. What is it?
3: I'm begging this team to sign a number five. Please sign a pivot to compete with Jeffrey Kondogbia and offer more balance to our midfield I think if Atleti add a number five and a starting quality right back, those are two essential, fundamental signings Diego Simeone needs. If Atleti make them, they will be a much better team next year, irrespective of the other business they do in the window. I know a lot of people have said they should sign at least one, if not two central defenders. I agree with them. But a right back and a number five are absolutely critical to this team's success next year. It will determine... Hundred percent determine if they can really compete for trophies or not. If they make, if they make those two signings, then they're going to be a lot better next year. You're going to see a, a more balanced and more fluid team, and a, an athletic team that makes more sense than what we saw for the majority of this season.
2: Great. Well, I'm Looking forward to speaking to you in August, September, Jeremy, when Daniel Vass is playing as the number five, and
3: <laughs> we can catch up on just what went wrong. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us, Jeremy. Thank you so much. Appreciate it.
1: Thank you very much, Jeremy. Um, Fantastic, as always, to hear from him uh, and do check out Into the Calderon for all your Atleti coverage. Well, of course, that result meant that three of the Champions League spots are now sewn up. Of course, Real Madrid, Barcelona and Atletico Madrid, leaving just one spot available and it will be decided by a team in Seville. It's Sevilla or Real Betis. As we mentioned, Mallorca got the draw at the sanchez Pizuan, which means that Betis had the chance to close the gap on Sevilla which they did by beating Valencia 3 0 at Nestaya, a late couple of goals there, sealing that win. It means there's only five points between them. There are only two games left, so you would still have the odds very much in Sevilla's favour. But uh, given Sevilla's fixtures away to Atletico Madrid and then at home to Athletic Club, nothing is guaranteed, especially with the way Sevilla are playing, right, Sam?
2: Yeah, no, I mean Sevilla have been out of form for a while now, but I think I saw somebody had run a simulation about now of a hundred times Betty's made the top four once. But I think Betis will be quite happy with that. I mean, step-by-step, step, slow progress and Europa League. And, and I mean, who would have guessed that they would be pushing Sevilla quite so closely this season? Probably not many of us. But for Sevilla, it'll be disappointing when we've seen their frustration with Lopetegui getting sent off. And again, I mean, it's not the first time we've seen that. And I think the fans are beginning to get a little bit fed up of, of the style, of the lack of offensive flair and so on at Sevilla. And I think, We'll probably see Lopetegui stay at Sevilla this summer, but if they don't get off to a good start next season, then maybe there could be some pressure on him.
1: Well, it's interesting. Uh, Rory and I were talking um, in the last pod. It was had to be cut, but we did release it on, on the socials. We were discussing this very fact about Lopetegui potentially parting ways. Uh, as as you mentioned, with Espanol heavily linked with Diego Martinez, that's a, a potential candidate gone, so that would potentially strengthen the chances of Lopetegui staying. Uh you think he will remain at the Sancho Pifty One for next season? Yeah, I
2: think Sevilla have been building around Lopetegui for quite a while now and Diego Martinez, I think Sevilla would see him as a coach below their level, I think they want to establish themselves now as kind of one of these elite European clubs and and Diego Martinez as much as we love him as much as anybody who like, follows Spanish football appreciates and values him. I'm not sure he's an elite European coach yet. So I mean I think I think Lopetegui's safe for now and I think he's kind of really bought into his project and and everything that was coming out of the club is so positive about Lopetegui that this is just a blip a bad run and so on that I think he can can sleep easy even if he is feeling the heat from the fans.
1: Yeah, it is very hot down in Seville to be fair. Um yeah, as you say if they do get over the line that'll be 3 years in a row they've finished inside the top 4 and before Lopetegui's arrival they only finished in the top 4 once in 9 seasons. So that kind of gives you the kind of the context really of of where they were and, and where they are now uh, and it's, it's really a credit to Lopetegui that that you know being fourth is is seen as frustrating given how well he has done in the past so as you say his own, his own standards kind of set him up for a fall in, in many ways um barcelona we have to mention those of course they're still trying to secure second spot and super cup of qualification let's not forget that glorious competition um <laughs> they beat satz 3-1 at Cam now pierre Mekabamriang scoring a brace. Iago Aspas replying for Celta, as he always seems to do against Barca. Um, Pretty chaotic game. Alderao had to be sent uh, away in an ambulance after a concussion. We send our best wishes to him. Thankfully, he was out of hospital the following day, but it looked a a pretty serious one. It leaves their defence pretty light there, doesn't it, Sam?
2: Yeah, I mean, Hatafe up next, though. I'd probably be glad that it's Hatafe and not somebody a bit more threatening in attack. But, I mean Xavi's done a good job there and it does look like they get second place now and that's all you can really ask for a kind of a routine win over sale to, to, to all but guarantee that with two games to go I mean I think any Barcelona fan would have taken that if we'd spoken to them in October, November time so so yeah, a good result
1: Definitely, I, I just can't believe that disrespect you're showing to your favourite man and isn't an not threatening, Itafe, what?
2: Well he's gone off the boil a little bit but yeah, he's just saving himself for next season
1: Oh, of course. Ever since you put him in your team of the season, he's just fallen off a cliff.
2: Yeah, well, since <sighs> you, you vetoed him, he's just on strike
1: now. Well, you tried to veto Benzema and he's still going, so not <laughs> sure how much power we have, Samuel. Uh, anyway, let's, let's move on. Um, the race for Europa League, of course, is probably the hottest thing left, apart from relegation, in La Liga. Betis, of course, guaranteed vi- uh, a position in the Europa League by virtue of being copper champions. And, uh, of course, they are still fighting... For fourth place, uh, however slim that possibility is, Real Sociedad, they had that uh, confident 3-0 win over Cadiz. Uh, That now means that they have guaranteed European football for the third season in a row because they can't finish any lower than seventh, which would be a Europa Conference place. And it also guarantees they finish higher than their rivals, Athletic Club. Um, 8% of their La Liga goals this season came in this one match, Sam. What happened? Was it just the penalties or, or was it as as convincing as as, it, as the scoreline made it look?
2: No, it's the first time this season they've scored three goals at home. So I think that says it all. And I mean, it was the 98th minute penalty that, that made it three goals, but David Silva happened, Cali's defence happened. I mean, quite a lot happened in this game, but everything seemed to click a little bit more for Real Sociedad, And I think that's something that they've been waiting for for quite some time now. I mean, Soloth got the early goal and I think that was a real confidence boost for them kind of set them on their way. I think that's the the issue with Real Sociedad. I think there's only one goal scored in the first half of a game, one of their last 10 home games or something like that. So to get that early goal is a big boost and, and really help them on their way.
1: Yeah, absolutely. They uh A much-needed three points for them as they uh, try to cement that sixth spot. But Villarreal are right on their tails. They had a thumping 5-1 win at Rayo Vallecano. The Rayo fans celebrated their permanence, uh, their survival before the game. Um, but uh, they weren't celebrating too much at full-time, were they, with this result?
2: No, but, I mean, Villarreal were, were a team that have got it all to play for and, and Ray of a kind of clearly weren't. So I think the quality between the two squads as well just just told the difference at the end of the day. Some fantastic finishing, some unexpected goal scorers in in the two full-backs, one fourth and Alfonso Pedrata. So, I mean, just what you Neymar know, Marie would have wanted with his top three goal scorers, the the attackers in Gerard Moreno, Jeremy Pino... Now now Dan Juma will being out, so getting those goals from us where is going to be very important.
1: Yeah, so many from set pieces too. His chalkboard's obviously been working overtime in training in the run-up to this one. This this sets up a tantalising fixture at the weekend because we have Villarreal hosting Real Sociedad, which could be absolutely massive. If, if Villarreal win, they will go sixth on head-to-head, um, and then, of course, we'll only need to match Real Sociedad's result on the final day to reach the Europa League started out, of course will be looking to avoid defeat to stay three points clear. How do you see that potential clash going?
2: I have no idea, to be honest with you. <laughs> I really don't know how to call it. I think it's going to be a, a fascinating game tactically, everything. I think it's going to be a brilliant game to watch. And I couldn't tell you if it's going to be a four-three win for somebody, a four-nil win for somebody, or a nil-nil draw. I really is a really difficult one to call. I think that Via will be very glad. That it's there and obviously they got that away win which is something that hasn't happened too often for teams visiting the Reale arena this season so i think i make the a slight favour going into this one but it's going to be a fascinating game
1: yeah i think i would have to agree with you there um and yeah as we said athletic the last team kind of with options for europe but they lost at granada as we heard from heath so uh, they are now four points off seventh and uh looking pretty unlikely to reach that, uh, that European place. But um, you never know. While it's possible not the Hatticle, it could happen. They have Osasuna left uh, before a final day trip to the Sanchez-Pituan. So that could still be an important game for both sides, potentially on that final day. But uh, we sh- we'll have to wait and see what the weekend throws up before that. Right then, that's, that's the recap of all the games. Um, plenty of goals. Uh, it's time now for our MVP section, Samuel. Would you like to kick us off, please, with your first nominee?
2: Yeah, my first nominee is a little bit under the radar, maybe a bit out there, but it's going to be Gonzalo Escalante. I think he's really changed Alaves' midfield since he came in and there was a great headline in Mark which kind of summed up his performance against Espanol, which was Escalante and 10 others. I think that was kind of the the perfect way to describe it. He was everywhere. He scored the, one of the goals. He was creating everything. I think he had four shots. He was breaking all the play up every time Espanyol tried to move forward. So I mean the complete midfield engine performance from him and and if Aloes do achieve the impossible, he will be a big reason why since he's come in in January and one of the best things that Mendelibar did while while he was at Aloes.
1: Yeah, strange isn't it to think that he was a Mendilibar man from the time at Abar, and and he's he's been the main goal scorer really since uh since Christmas. Hossou going off the boil slightly it's Escalante, who's been coming up trump so yeah, very worthy choice there. I'm going to have to go with a man that's a bit more of a star name, just a little bit, uh, Vin- Vinny Junior. Um, an absolutely stellar performance against Levante. They they must have been dreading it when they saw the team sheet and saw luca Modric starting, Benzema playing, Vinny playing. I mean, Modric had three assists in the first half. Benzema was his superior best, uh, superior best again. But I'm going to go with Vinny because he scored his first career hat trick. Uh, and got an assist as well so it means he's now in double figures for goals and assists in La Liga alone 17 and 10 um and i i don't think anyone could have foreseen those numbers coming uh, at the start of the season he was very much on the periphery he was even questionable whether he was, he was going to be starting matches but uh, this season it's really been all about Vinzimar as they say vinny and benzema running the show up front for Real Madrid and of course they still have plenty to play for this season with the Champions League final ahead and uh, with Vinny in this kind of form it's certainly a, a big key factor in that final so yeah Vinny's definitely uh, one of my nominees Who who is your second one please Sam
2: well I guess mine's kind of the polar opposite of Vinny in some senses of the, the young prodigy to David Silva who's the old wizard of La Liga I guess we could say and, I mean, it just makes it look so easy. And I think he's really building up some momentum now. Real Sociedad, the worst kind of time, I guess, can be in the end of the season. But they need that kind of talent, that decisive kind of passing that he has. And and he's just got so much technical technique and quality that, that just sets him apart from, from any other player. I mean, Real Sociedad have some great midfielders, but David Silva just stands out for that ability to play a defence-splitting pass. And... And that's exactly what he did against Cadiz. And I think we we can be very glad that he's got an extended at in San Sebastián and that we'll be seeing more of him at Real Sociedad next season.
1: Absolutely. Well said. Well said. I'm I'm going to go for a Villarreal player. And we could see them, of course, facing off uh, against Real Sociedad at the weekend. I'm going to go with Alfonso Pedraza, who's uh, not always started for United Emery. He's kind of been a rotation player quite a lot of the season. But in this game at, at Vallecas, he was sensational. Um put them ahead early with that header from a Danny Payejo cross, um, just sets them off to the best possible start really. And, uh, and then he got the assist for Paco Alcácer's goal, who had gone over a year without scoring. So he'll be very thankful for Pedrassa for that particular assist. And then he rounded it off too with the fifth and final goal of the game. Yeah. Two goals and one assist from fullback. You can't really ask for much more than that. Can you So a real, a real solid pro loves the club. Um, you know, gives gives his teammates support all the time, whether he plays or not. He's just a real good, honest guy, and um, someone that you know teams really uh, value in the dressing room. and And he's a he's a decent player too. You know, everyone talks about the the kind of uh, more elaborate fullbacks they have, like the likes Pignan and, and Juan Foyt being so reliable. But uh, yeah, Pedrassa, he's very much a, a brilliant option to have as a kind of rotation for you know Emery's side, um, and he could have a role to play in the next couple of matches as we go to the close too. So so on that note, we must go soon to the close, but uh, without wanting to miss moments of the week, um, I'll come to you in just a second, Sam, but for me, I can't get over uh, Jose Luis Morales, el comandante at the end of that game, in tears in the interview. But uh, it was a lovely gesture from Vinicius Jr. to come over and kind of console him. Two players at the very opposite ends of the age scale in terms of football. Vinny with it all ahead of him, Morales with many years in the legs, but uh, both fantastic footballers and, you know, game respects game, as as the kids say. Uh, yeah, it was just a, a very emotional moment on, on many fronts, really. But uh, how about you? Have you got a more upbeat moment for us?
2: Yeah, I think that was one of my moments of the weekend as well. So I think the other one would be another, and, and the final few minutes, the injury time of that game against Athletic. I mean, it was end-to-end stuff. I mean, corner for, for Athletic, they got Unai Simon up. Granada break, they score, it's offside, <laughs> then Athletic <laughs> come right back at them again, hit the post, I think. They hit the post, so it's like 96 minutes 38 seconds after six minutes of injury time. So really kind of incredible end-to-end scenes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Pure chaos. Um it's why we love that liga and it's why we all love football. Um it's been a, it's been a mad week. We've had a, a match day on top of a match day. Hope you're keeping up, listener, because we're, we're doing our best to. We've got more to come at the weekend, of course, with uh, two matches on Saturday and then eight kicking off at the same time with all those things still to be decided. Uh, final space for the Champions League, Europa League, Conference League and, of course, the final two relegation spots. Still so much to play for. Uh, please stick with us at La Liga Lowdown. Uh, follow us on Twitter and check out our website, com. We've got a piece on Iker Mugnain is uh, is our latest offering from Louis Scattergood, so do check that one out. But uh, from all of us here, um, thank you to Sam, thank you to Jeremy, thank you to Heath, and of course, thank you to, to you all at home for listening. Hope you've enjoyed it and we hope you'll tune in again uh, for the final few of the season. That's all we've got time for. Thanks for listening. Adios.
2: Levante en las
0: barras azulgranas de tu clásico jersey. Levante la afición más fiel y sana con ardor puso su fe. Levante tu coraje y nuevos brillos de entusiasmo vibrar, Levante tus colores colores son